This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, everyone. First and foremost, I do want to make a few quick announcements slash apologies. You know me. I'm always here to say I'm sorry when I am not able to fulfill things in the time that I hope that I would. I had so much planned for anniversary stuff, and I haven't done the recap episode yet this week. There's just been so much going on in my personal life, and I really am trying so, so, so hard to get as much content as I can out to you all, especially on Patreon, because you all are so lovely to be supporting me over there. But it's been particularly difficult. And I've also started a new editing job, which I've mentioned mentioned a bit on the podcast before, but it takes up literally an entire day, eight to 10 hours to do a one hour episode for this show. And so I am working a lot on that because believe it or not, I make more money doing other people's shows than I do on my own. And I also make more money outside of the house, which makes things very, very difficult when all I want to do is be sitting in front of the microphone speaking with all of you. And I really wanted to put some thought and energy into just what I wanted to say after six years of being the host and producer and creator of Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist and speak with you all about what's happened over the last six years. I didn't want to just throw something out there and have it be wishy-washy. I really wanted it to come from the heart. And I have a lot of things that I really want to say. I'm also really doing my best to record little extras after putting the full-length episodes up. I wasn't able to do one this week as of yet for Coretta Scott King, but I am going to make up for it and do one when I can. I'm just kind of at a point right now in my life and in my schedule where I'm really trying to schedule my time as best as I can and prioritize things in the right way. And sometimes it just takes a while to find a new rhythm with a new schedule. So that's kind of what's going on with me right now. But I just want you all to know that I am truly always doing my best and I'm always working as hard as I can to be there for all of you and give you some stuff to listen to. Okay, that's all I really had to say before getting into this episode. So let's start talking about this week's news topics. We don't need to get into anything else. Donald Trump won with a huge margin over Nikki Haley at the New Hampshire primary on Tuesday, which pretty much confirms that he is all but locked in as the GOP candidate. But no one has told Nikki Haley, apparently, because she is still holding on for dear life in this race, even after a very embarrassing ending on Tuesday. She's working toward the primary in her home state of South Carolina now, where she believes she could be more successful than in New Hampshire. 
But my big takeaway, as I do not believe that Nikki Haley has a chance of being the Republican candidate in 2024, is that we're heading toward another Trump-Biden showdown. Both Biden and Trump have loud detractors within their parties. Although I would have to say that MAGA might be a little bit louder. Much like the last time Biden was up for election, many Democrats and those who vote Democrat feel like they're choosing the lesser of two evils, especially with things like Roe v. Wade continuing to be overturned, and most importantly, Biden's role in the conflict between Israel and Hamas. So let's talk about that a little bit. Biden has long had a deep connection to Israel, both personal and political, but his unwavering support for them as a genocide in Gaza rages is making him very unpopular, particularly amongst younger voters. Biden first visited Israel in 1973 as a newly elected senator, where he met with then-Prime Minister Golda Meir, a meeting that he still references to this day. And he has since traveled to Israel many times. A former state diplomat, Aaron David Miller, says of Biden that no other American president has the kind of experience in decades-long interaction with the people of Israel, the idea of Israel, and the state of Israel. Are you done? Dorothy is currently making a bed on my bed with the clothes that I threw on there. So, And it's also garbage day. So garbage trucks keep driving by and cars are honking. Oh, I hate recording during the day sometimes, but this is when my best energy is present. <laughs> okay, back to the topic at hand. Biden is in an interesting situation, having such personal and political ties. But also many Americans side with Biden and side with Israel in the conflict, according to polls. But polls also show how split the Democratic Party is. Like I said, many younger voters are very much against his stance. I saw a video on Instagram the other day where someone was interviewing people attending a ceasefire protest, and so many of them were talking about how they would not be voting for Biden in the upcoming election. But it just sucks because if we don't vote for Biden, that is like rolling out the red carpet for Trump's success. It's kind of like the same situation that we were in last time where he's not the guy that we really, really want. I mean, hell, wasn't the man like 81 when he went into office four years ago? This is insane. Man, you need to retire. But we certainly don't want Trump to be in charge of our country either. We saw how terribly it went last time. Can you imagine what he would do this time around? I know we're going to end up in a situation yet again where we have to vote for Biden and I'm going to have to get on this podcast and tell you all to do the same and it's going to hurt me. But you know what? He is the lesser of two evils. Ugh, I hate talking about it. But let's get back to Biden's relations with Israel a little bit because I do want to discuss this a little bit more. Biden, along with other leaders, is hoping that Netanyahu will agree to a two-state solution, which would mean that the Israelis, Palestinians, regional partners, and global leaders would all have to work together to make an agreement. The two-state solution calls for establishing an independent state for Palestinians alongside that of Israel. The U.S. has supported this idea for decades, and it has since been the proposed framework for resolving the conflict. I am working on something right now where I'm going through the history of the conflict with Israel and Palestine, and I want to release it as a series of episodes somewhere down the line. But it's taking a lot of research. It's taking a lot of time. But I have learned so much recently while doing that research. And there are a few snags in this plan. The two-state solution was first proposed in 1947 by the United Nations, but it was denied by the Palestinians in part due to how much land and access to resources they would get. They were the majority in the state, yet they would be given less if they were to agree to this partition plan. 
The two-state solution has been shrinking in support from both Palestinians and Israelis over the years. And since the attack on Israel by Hamas, it seems like an even more unlikely solution. Dennis Ross, who was the chief U.S. negotiator at the 2000 Camp David summit between Israel and Palestine, told NPR, We have to understand, Israelis aren't going anyplace, and Palestinians aren't going anyplace. Somehow, given that, we have to find a way toward coexistence. If the two-state solution is agreed upon, there will still be more to agree upon going forward. One problem is exactly where the borders would be drawn, as multiple wars over the years has made it nearly impossible to know what belongs to Israel and what would belong to Palestine. Israel also wants to continue to maintain the ability to act in Palestinians' areas against security threats, such as Hamas, but Palestinians want an end to Israel's military occupation and control over their own security. Yet somehow, Biden most recently has stated that he believes that Netanyahu could eventually accept the two-state solution, quote, given the right one. And to that I say, yeah, maybe he would, but what about the Palestinians? If Hamas says, yes, just take all of this stuff, of course he's going to be like, great, I agree to that, but it has to be fair. And honestly, I see the Palestinian side here and like, what would be fair? We were here first. <laughs> you came in and took over and did all of these things. And I'm not saying that either side hasn't done terrible things because that's war. That just happens. But I can't help but think about how much it ties to colonialism. And that's another reason why I'm really trying to do all of this research, because I don't want to say anything that is ignorant. I don't want to be anti-Semitic in any way, because I, in no stretch of the imagination, blame individual Jewish people for anything that has happened in this long-standing conflict, nor do I blame individual Palestinian people for anything either. It is their governments that are making these choices for them, and it has been going on for generations and gen I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years. This is so deeply ingrained into their DNA to be a part of this conflict and to feel a certain way. They don't know anything else. And that's what makes this so unbelievably difficult. I don't know if they are going to be able to come together and make an agreement that is going to satisfy everybody. And that is why this has been the longest standing conflict in our world's history. This is just yet another terrible instance of this continual war. The genocide absolutely needs to stop. I truly believe that the United States, the UK, and everyone else who is supporting Israel right now needs to pull away and we need to encourage a ceasefire. Only then can there be any sort of discussion about any of this because it will not happen when we are at the height of war and devastation. I think about this so much and I am so infuriated to see the number of innocent lives that are being absolutely devastated, that are being taken away in Gaza because of, because of what is continuing to happen. We need a ceasefire now. Okay, I do also want to bring up the issue of abortion and Roe v. Wade, which is another big sticking point for Democratic voters. And Monday, January 22nd, which was the 51st anniversary of the passing of Roe v. Wade, Biden announced new actions to help Americans access health care, including abortions and contraceptives. 
This included expanding no-cost contraception through the Affordable Care Act to help millions of people nationwide under new guidance from federal agencies. Federal employees, retirees, and family members will receive strengthened access to contraception under guidelines to insurers. They are working on educating more and more people about how to access these resources. And the department will also be speaking with healthcare providers to ensure that hospitals are meeting their obligations under federal law. Something that I started looking into earlier today that I definitely want to go further into in a future mini episode is what it would take to codify Roe v. Wade. And I thought it was going to be a simpler answer and I was going to add it into this part of the episode, but it turns out that there's actually a lot more to it due to different court cases that have been brought to the Supreme Court and how that affects Biden's ability to take this into his own hands and codify it. Because that's been one thing that's been on my mind since it was overturned. It's like, why can you not use your own power to make this happen? You know what I mean? And again, maybe I'm being fucking ignorant, but that's why I do my research. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta. And I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. And you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, this is a tough one. Trigger warning, we are going to be discussing a mass shooting. And it is absolutely devastating. So please, if you need to fast forward through this part, my feelings will not be hurt. But I think this is very important to discuss. On Sunday, January 21st, a gunman opened fire on four separate occasions in and around Joliet, Illinois. A total of eight people were killed and one was injured. The suspect was 23-year-old Romeo Nance, who, of course, fatally shot himself after being confronted by the cops. I don't say of course to be callous, but I am so sick of these cowards taking the easy way out after destroying so many lives. 
What gives you the fucking right to avoid justice? Seriously. And this story just gets sadder and sadder because all but one of Nance's victims were related to him. He killed his mother, Tamika Nance, who was 47 years old. He killed Christine Esters, his aunt, who was also a corrections officer at Joliet's treatment center. She was 38 years old. He killed William Esters II, his uncle, who was 35, Joshua Nance, 31 years old, his brother, Alexander Nance, his 20-year-old sister. He also killed two teen girls aged 14 and 16 who were also his sisters. Why did he do this? Why did he kill so much of his own family? Nance's girlfriend and the mother to his three-year-old son, who thankfully was not there during any of these attacks, has now also been charged with obstructing justice. A lawyer for the family said that they were a, quote, good family that was very tight-knit and that he was shocked by what happened. Since Nance is now dead, it will be hard to know his true motive. That is the other devastating part of when a killer takes their own lives after the end of their atrocities. They are not there to be able to explain themselves in any way. Not that any sort of explanation would be valid or good enough or even make anyone feel any better. But the reason that I do think that it is important for these people to stand and receive the punishment that they deserve or go through a trial is because all of these things are a way for us to learn, for us to be able to find warning signs and symptoms, ways to be able to better support each other after this kind of tragedy. We have to learn from these things, even though it is so horrible to talk about and it breaks our hearts, because that's the only way that we're going to be able to prevent something like this in the future. So I wanted to do a little bit of side research into why family annihilators do what they do, since Romeo Nance is not here to be able to speak for himself. In an article by Hopkins Dr. David Adams and Richard Giles of the University of Pennsylvania, they state that cases of familicide are actually quite rare. Familicide is defined as a type of murder or murder-suicide in which a person kills multiple close family members in quick succession, most often children, spouses, siblings, or parents. In half of these cases, the killer last kills themselves. They state that prior domestic violence is the number one risk factor as well as access to a gun. And they state that most people who commit murder-suicide are white. Between 1900 and 2000, there were 909 recorded victims of mass murder in the U.S. Of those, more than half occurred within an immediate family. And though they may be rare as a whole, familicide is the most common form of mass killing. I didn't know that. Birmingham City University researchers Elizabeth Yardley, David Wilson, and Adam Lines found that men who murder their families may do so if they feel the need to be punished, if they feel the family has caused a disappointment, they feel their own financial failings will ruin the lives of their family. This happens a lot when fathers and husbands are the perpetrators or because they wish to save their family from a perceived threat. We will never know what led Romeo Nance to commit such atrocities, but I can only hope that the remaining family can grieve and heal together through all of this pain. All right, for this next topic, I want to warn you, this is probably going to be a very unpopular opinion. 
I do not really care that Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig were not nominated for their roles in Barbie at the Academy Awards. I know, I know, I'm sorry. Hear me out. Hear me out. First of all, that statement was not fully accurate because Margot actually was nominated for an Oscar as a producer, not as an actor, because the film was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Ryan Gosling was also nominated for Playing Ken. We'll get into that in a little bit. Is Margot a fabulous actor who nailed the role of Barbie? Yes. Is Greta a superb director whose amazing eye brought Barbie to life? Yes. Does it feel weird to have Ken being nominated over Barbie? Maybe. But I think what people are forgetting here is that the Academy Awards are not a popularity contest. They're snooty and snobby as fuck. And while being nominated is awesome, it is not an indicator of a great movie or a great performer. Fucking Leonardo DiCaprio got nominated, what, eight times before he finally won one? There are, there are people that are out there who have never even gotten nominated. They've never gotten close to winning because it's so political. I have a friend of mine who is a fucking amazing actress. She is a legend and everybody says so, yet the Oscars have always snubbed her. This is just the fucking game. On top of that, there is, I'm sure, a lot that goes into the selection of nominations. There is so much amazing talent out there. And so many people performed at the top of their game this year. So not everyone is going to be nominated. And you know what? There is a lot we should be celebrating about this year's nominations instead of focusing on the fact that two white blonde ladies didn't get a chance to win a gold statue. America Ferreira is nominated for her role in the Barbie movie in the Best Supporting Actress category. America is also one of the few Latinas to be nominated for an Oscar ever. Only two others, Rita Moreno, who's Puerto Rican, and Lupita Nyong'o, who's Mexican and Kenyan, have won Best Supporting Actresses at the Oscars out of only eight who have ever been nominated. No Latinas have won Best Actress, but five have been nominated. On top of that, Lily Gladstone became the first Native American person ever to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. Lily played Molly in Killers of the Flower Moon. And if you haven't listened to the episodes where I cover Molly's story, get on that now. And this all may have been fate for Lily, as the superlative she won for her high school yearbook was most likely to win an Oscar. And the photo from the yearbook is out there online. I highly suggest you find it because she's adorable. Lily said when she learned the news of her nomination, she was on a FaceTime call with her family in Osage County. She said she felt the moment belongs to all of Osage Nation. And only three indigenous actresses have ever been nominated for Best Actress. I want to specify, this is different than Native American, indigenous as a whole. With Merle Oberon and Keisha Castle-Hughes, who are part of New Zealand's Maori people, and Yalisa Aparico, who's Native Mexican. It's nice to see that Lily was nominated and her on-screen husband and main character of the film, Leonardo DiCaprio, was not. Shouldn't that be vengeance enough for the Barbie quote-unquote snub? Also, I'm over here rolling my eyes at all of the so-called feminists on social media going on and on about Margot and Greta and the Barbie movie and completely snubbing the mass genocide and healthcare crisis occurring in Gaza. Let's keep our priorities straight, shall we? I saw this tweet today that said, Watching white feminists who have had nothing to say about the slaughter of Palestinian entire lineages and ICU babies and pregnant women express outrage and sorrow because Margot Robbie didn't get an Oscar nomination? 
I'll leave it at that. Okay, friends, loves, listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode. I would really appreciate it if you would join me on Patreon, really doing my best to get as much stuff out there. But there is already so much content on Patreon if you haven't yet joined. There is hours upon hours of more episodes and things for you to listen to if you're interested. So you can go to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist or click on the link in the show notes here and choose a level that works for you. It's still technically called the Angry Feminist Book Club on Patreon because I keep forgetting to change it, but soon it will be Mad Gavin with Madigan, and that is the $5 level, and that is where I will be posting the anniversary episode. And Mad Gavin with Madigan will be a segment of advice, questions, different types of conversations, random shit that pops into my head, just a little bit of a, a sideshow that isn't so much necessarily involved with all things feminism, but a little bit more broad, but I am also here to answer any of your questions about feminism, about my views, my opinions, all of that kind of stuff. So if you do want to send me any questions or ask for any advice, I would recommend that you email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist and certainly follow the Instagram because that is where everything goes down with the podcast. Secondly, you can also join the Feminist Faves level, which is $8 a month, where you get all of these episodes early and ad-free. You also get a little bit of extra bonus content, and you get the recaps after each Monday's full-length episode goes up. I will be doing that Coretta episode as soon as I can. I've got some really busy days ahead of me, and I am going to truly do my best to be recording and editing as often as possible for you all. And I hope to see you over on Patreon. Other than that, the best way that you can possibly support me and the show is by going to that little Apple podcast app on your iPhone and leaving a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. And then if you want to go over to Spotify and rate me over there too, that would be fab. Okay, everyone, that's all I have for you today. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rage on. I love you. Bye. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.